You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. For the Lord, this is Roger coming to you on the 11th of January, the first episode of the year. So, boys, looking forward to the year. We should have a lot of fun. There's some incredible games coming out this year. So, and console. So, potentially. And uh, and so, yeah, we should have some fun. So. 2017 is going to be crazy. 2017, I'm going to be broke. You Just in the next couple months. <laughs> with all the political bullshit that the world has put up with, but you guys especially, it's going to be important to put a lot of focus on the things that are fun in our lives as well, that we can just lose ourselves in, and that's this. So let's start off with the news that, hey, Andromeda is going to be coming out this year. Joe, you're not as impressed, but I am. <laughs> I'm a slightly more impressed, actually, after reading what I read about how they're going to be working the classes. Dude, isn't that freaking awesome? So... Yeah, and I think that's it's something that I've actually I wondered why they didn't do in the previous games because it seemed like it made more sense to like a sci fi ish universe. You know what? But if I can. The fluidity of it is just amazing. I think the reason why it was not included is because it's an artificial time sink. So that their game that already lasts a number of hours, now it's one of those, well, you can play as the other classes as well, which play in some cases significantly differently. So it, in some cases, it's worth having a, another class. Like I, I tended to play the infiltrator, but I had to have a vanguard as well because mm-hmm. there's a, a difference to the gameplay. And then at that point, it makes sense if you're playing it again to play either a different gender or to romance someone different or to do things different that you didn't in the other playthroughs. So I, I think the reason why it wasn't included is because it is an artificial time sink. I'm not sure. Well, yeah, it it is, and but also at the same point, it allows for so much more customization. That yeah, it may be better to specialize and and put all of your time and and your level ups into a single class. But I've always loved the idea, especially in RPGs, of crafting my own character. I'd rather be a jack of all trades and a king of none most of the time, and that's just and that's just my personal preference. What I like about it is this this really lets uh, you craft Ryder into the character that you want Ryder to be, no matter what. And I think that's really cool. Also, I like the idea that even just flipping through uh, the classes, when you flip one o- flip over, you get uh, a specific bonus for that class, even without having to purchase anything. Like you flip over to Soldier, their example, and you get a 10% bonus to weapon accuracy, damage, and clip size. I thought, you know, little touches and flavors like that are cool. And then the idea that you can buy non-specific skills as well that are just available to you no matter what you do. And they either will improve if you are in the requisite class that like that specializes in that, but still have access to it out of it, I think is pretty cool as well. Uh, It's that actually right there made me incredibly excited for the game because that's what I love in these games. That is that is my bread and butter. Vince? I also like, because in the previous games, at least in my experience, 
the classes and the leveling up and all that sort of plateaued at, at a point where I didn't feel like I was growing that much more powerful as I was leveling up after a point. So being able to diversify and maybe not get make yourself more powerful, but to be able to change your play style slightly or do something you couldn't do before, I think that's going to give it a lot more longevity too. Because as somebody like me, who on at least one of my playthroughs, I will do literally everything in the game. So I'm at such a high level that a lot of the previous leveling systems kind of fell apart once you reached like level 15 to 20, whereas now it could go on for however long you go, which if you want to do a more open world style game that, that looks like they're doing with Andromeda, you got to have a lot of that, uh, a lot of ways for players to spend all that experience they're going to be earning. The way that I look at it is that it's cool because it is going to be adding a um, level of complexity to the game that wasn't there before because it will very much be about, okay, what's this encounter and what's my best highest class that I can use in this specific encounter. And what it's also going to mean is when you get into a tough fight, you die. Well, okay, let's try it as a Vanguard now and see if that goes any better, or let's try it as, you know, soldier, whatever. And so it's going to make it so that you have that extra tool in your toolbox that you can pull out before the, the encounter or if you fail the encounter as well. That said, as much as I like this and as much as I think, like you just said, Vince, it's going to fit in this if they do, especially a very open world field, then it's going to fit. I liked being, well, being forced to play, to start another character for another class because of just what I said, that it forced me then to play either as the opposite gender or to romance characters that I hadn't otherwise. So it, it allowed me to see a lot more of the game that, than I did otherwise, than I would have otherwise, like with a system like this. Yeah. And see, and I don't think that's going to be a barrier for me, even because that was never my drive to do that. The interactions yeah. were my drive to do that. The experiencing things that I didn't experience was my drive. And I didn't for lack of a better term, you say, you say force. I didn't feel forced to do that. I like that idea of, you know, I don't have to have multiple different classes and be shoehorned into it because another thing that bugged me about Mass Effects 1, 2, and 3 is if you picked a class and you didn't like it, you invested a lot of time before yeah. sometimes you realize you didn't like it and that was just time, I don't want to say wasted, but oh, it you was. were either... No, I mean... Well, okay, no, it, it was. was. It was, yeah. So you were either forced to complete it out on a character that you didn't like, which happened to me at one point, um, or you go through and you re-roll a character and then have to go through all of that again. So this this appeals to me because I don't have to worry about that. That's not a problem. Because I can tell you that of all the ones that I've played, um, I've played a soldier, and that was okay. I liked the Vanguard. That was okay. That's it. I did not like Sentinel. I did not like Adept. And those are the only other ones I tried. This actually means that I might try Infiltrator and Explorer, maybe a combination of them. Infiltrator is freaking awesome. (laughs) There is something (laughs) very cool about being a sniper in a Mass Effect game because they do it well. Some would say perhaps even a little too well because it is the easiest class to do. But when you are in a standalone RPG – 
there's fuck all wrong with something being OP. Oh, yeah. It makes right. you feel like you no are problem. indestructible. So the infiltrator all you need is, is a so sniper fun. rifle and a Krogan. Yeah. <laughs> Easily purchasable at your nearby Target store. <laughs> I want that on a shirt now. Thanks, Vince. So, yeah. No, it, and, and I say that, but even with this system, there's nothing preventing us from having a couple of, of characters. So if I want to play both the male and the female, which I'm going to want to because I want to do all the various romances and different character stuff, then I, I still can do it. So it's not a big deal. And I can still quote unquote specialize whichever they are because I probably will tend to play one more as infiltrator and one more as Vanguard just because both of those classes are so much goddamn fun. So, okay, let's move on to some disappointing news and that's about Scalebound. Hey, remember that one game I was really excited to buy an Xbox for? Yeah, you don't need to, They saved you money is what it boils down to. <laughs> they care. Thank you, Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> yes, after careful deliberation, Microsoft Studios has come to the decision to end production for Scalebound. We're working hard to deliver an amazing lineup of games to our fans this year, including Halo Wars 2, Crackdown 3, State of Decay 2, Sea of Thieves, and other great experiences. Because I mean, man, they got to be, be disappointed. The devs who worked on this for years oh. must be heartbroken. Because Hideki Kamiya, the lead designer here for with uh, Platinum Games, this was a passion project for him. When this game was first shown off, and hearing him talk about mm-hmm. this game, he's always wanted to make of you fighting alongside your dragon companion. He wanted this game to exist so bad. But also, let's be honest, the last time we saw this game, it, what was it Gamescom last year, I think? It's been a while. It didn't, it didn't look that impressive. No. Like, the, the, the first show, the first we saw of it looked great. We were very interested in where it could go. Didn't hear much of it for a while. Popped up again. Didn't seem very impressive. And then disappeared. And now it's gone forever. I think part of the problem is just it didn't, it, it failed to generate any hype. And I'm sure that's part of the reason why it was canned because like i don't know there's no excitement or at least a contributing factor because if you're not if there's no excitement about your game and people aren't talking about it like news outlets weren't talking about it because there was nothing to talk about or you know when they did talk about it it was oh you know this looks like this which we've already seen x amount of times before there was no excitement for it not like some of the other games that we we've talked about in the past aside from us like and we were like oh this is a cool concept but that initial excitement after that initial burst, I I didn't feel it. Yeah, but see, that's I mean, a perfect mm-hmm. example of, and we've talked about this before, of not discussing your games too early. And had they continued on development, now granted what we heard too, rumors, but still, it was about how difficult it was and how much pressure was on them to develop this game. Let's just kind of ignore that because it's not really confirmed. And let's just assume that everything was hunky-dory, bijikini, and they were having a grand old time, okay? Had they waited until they were closer to release and come out with the same kind of enthusiasm as they did with their initial release, I think this would have made it to, 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 to print, and then we would have the game to play. And we might be disappointed by it, because there just wasn't as much to it as was indicated initially but still i think that it would have done a lot better but it's one of those things where 
I feel they came out way too early talking about it and then didn't have enough to talk about it over the course of like well over a year. Mm-hmm. But had they kept their traps shut, I think this could have made it. You know, I'm inclined the, to agree. Yeah. I think the big problem here is that Platinum Games is a very prolific developer. Like they get out a lot of games on time. They've worked with numerous studios before. And a lot of people are like, well, if they can work with Square, if they can work with this company, if they can do licensed Transformers games, like, you know, why couldn't they get along with Microsoft? (laughs) And that's probably a question worth asking. But I think the bigger issue here is that of all the games they've worked on, none of them came even close to the scope of what they were trying to accomplish with Scalebound. This game was so far above and beyond what they've tried to do before. I don't know if the relationship, you know, Microsoft wasn't helping them as much as they needed or if they were just in over their heads. But that, I think, is the the main factor here, that this game is much bigger than anything that studio tried to do. And for whatever reason, they couldn't pull it off to anybody's satisfaction outside of Platinum. Yeah. Well, maybe that and maybe that's part of it, too, where like and we, we've heard that story in the past where like the publisher of the is going to the studio with these hard deadlines and a project mm-hmm. is too big, and they're just like, we can't do it in this time frame. And they're like, okay, fine, yank it. Like, we've seen that in the past. Well, so, it's nothing yeah, to Microsoft to do that. that. It's absolutely nothing for them to say. It's If, you, yeah, if you're just crunching numbers, then, yeah, it's not worth it. Let's just ditch it mm-hmm. and move on to something else. They, so they're cutting their loss. But then you're not looking at it the point from the point of view of the developers who've invested mm-hmm. four years into this project – to now have to scrap it or, you know, sell it off piecemeal to to other scavengers or themselves scavenge what they need to from it. And like listening or seeing Hideki Kamiya on Twitter when he's like, you know, I'm so disappointed. I'm so sorry. But he's already like you get to keep diving back into the next project. Like he's a guy that's going to get back to work and going to put out another kick ass game one way or another. So yeah. I'm actually really looking forward to what they come out with next. Yeah, just wait before you announce it, people. God. Now, you mentioned uh, Sea of Thieves and we got a video about that as well. Joe, did you get a chance to watch a video? Oh, hell yeah, dude. <laughs> what I love is that this is they're making it much more social than you would have thought for this kind of game Mm -hmm. and making it so that like to navigate your ship, you actually do have to be working with your team because like the person who's actually navigating can't even see past the fucking sail. And then the person who's got the map, they need to go below deck because that's where the map is. So they're relaying instructions from there. And then you got the person in the crow's nest. They actually can see what's ahead of them. So you really need to work as a team to be able to do this. And what I liked about this video is that it, it demonstrated a lot more the PVP aspect of the game as well, because we really hadn't seen much about that before in terms of get your, your, you dig up your chest. And I loved how, only one person has the map and actually has to show it, show it. to other people. I thought yeah. that was brilliant. And then this idea of, okay, you're going to want to bring somebody with a blunderbuss to protect you while you're bringing your chest to cash it in. But somebody else can kill you all and then steal your chest. And it's an, it's an interesting twist on a PVP game kind of thing. And I, I kind of really dig that a lot. There's There's the aspect of being at sea and doing your own shit, but there's also this 
really interesting, fun little side mission kind of PvP stuff that's going to be happening on islands all over the goddamn place. So it's really freaking cool. I, what I really liked about it was the when uh, Shelley and Andrew uh, Preston were talking about how much the map influenced the design. Just that simple interaction yeah. early on in the game's concept was the fact that they had a single map where one person was was showing it to the rest of the crew, and there was this gathering of everybody else that was playing with them or testing it with them, and you had to do that. And then they started that started influencing everything else they did. That started influencing the decisions with the boat and and how everything would work and how PvP would work, making it a, a true co-op game. And that's really important because a lot of times in the co-op games that we see, one player can do everything. One player is in charge of or can be in charge of everything if they get to that seat first, right? And they can lead everybody or do everything and make the decisions for everybody. We see it in MMOs, we see it in a lot of games. Here if you don't cooperate, you just fail. And I think that's really important. And I think that's going to be a lot of fun because when you have a well-disorganized machine like us three, we might actually accomplish something. Maybe. Sometimes. Maybe. And you have like, played games with us before, right, Joe? Well, if I tell you Vince go murder things, I mean, I'm pretty sure you're not going to argue. Aye, aye, Captain. <laughs> yeah, see? There you go. So, yeah, it, it's funny because I'd been thinking about this game a little bit over the last little while, and we hadn't really heard that much in the last while. And I was thinking, eh, maybe it's going to be one of those games that sounds good initially in theory, but then when it comes out, eh, not so much. But every little bit that is coming out is one another reason to pick it up when it comes out. And I do really, I am looking forward to, you know, whatever, Tuesday night, Thursday night, Okay, we're getting together for a few hours and we're just going to blow shit up, steal some chess and have some fun. And and that that sounds very appealing. <laughs> uh, Vince, how excited is uh, Allie for uh, Final Fantasy XIV's patch, the 3.5? Uh, on one hand, very, because there's new hairstyles. <laughs> <laughs> on the other hand, she's still not... Uh, up to that content yet so really she's yeah she has a she's been having a crisis of character ever since heaven's word came out she's had a crisis of character forever in that game she's constantly changing who she's playing this is true Uh, so she she still has a lot of the uh content to get through but i mean there's a lot of shit in this patch yeah as far as content patches go Holy shit. Yeah, you're kidding. I'm impressed. This, this is just part one of patch 3.5. Uh, they're calling it the far edge of fate. I'm going to assume this is the last major content update before Stormblood comes out. But yeah, part one of patch 3.5 comes out next week with part two coming out in March. So that's only going to leave them about a three month gap between the last update to uh, version 3.0 and version 4.0 coming out, which that's pretty damn good compared to other games. <sighs> Don't have to look any further than WoW with well over a year before without content being introduced. Mm-hmm. But as far as said content in here, you're getting new dungeons, new raids, uh, expanding on the main scenario quest line, new PvP stuff, new zones, all, just tons of new actual content uh, all kinds of cosmetic stuff or housing and gear and dancing with the giant birds 
Um, one, of, one of the big ones here, actually, is uh, they finally put in the Eggy Glamour system. Uh, the Eggies are what they call the uh, minions that the summoners can bring. Whereas, uh, you know, right now you have the three main ones of Titan, Ifrit, and Garuda. And that's pretty much all you've got. You just cart those three around all the time. So now they're bringing in a glamour system where you can start to change their appearance, at least. if Even if you're using the same ones, you can at least make them look different. Uh, right now, you can just turn them into different colors of Carbuncle, but they're going to continue adding in new skins uh, in future patches. Now that the tech is there and they, they can actually make it happen, I'm sure the skins will be rolling out pretty commonly. Because I'd like to see something better than just changing the Carbuncle pink, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was like, okay, well, that's... I don't know that I'd advertise that, but if they're going to be doing uh, something more extreme, then yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, they, they've been working on this feature for quite a while. So, like I said, the tech is finally there and done. So now it's just a matter of the skins, which yeah. should be no problem. Uh, <laughs> the one that I would have been most excited for had I still been playing is a new Hildebrand quest line. <laughs> Hildebrand, uh, the original Hildebrand quest line in 2.0 is one of the funniest damn stories it, easily in that game and in a lot of games. And that was, if you saw in the trailer, the goofy guy with the smile. Is that shiny. what that was? Like, All oh right. my God. He, uh, <laughs> I was very disappointed when I finally reached level cap in, uh, Realm Reborn and couldn't do the Hildebrand quest line yet. <laughs> and I still had to do a bunch of actual content before I unlocked it. <laughs> But they're also, uh, in addition to all this content, uh, new Beast Tribe quests, which are like reputation uh, quest lines to get cool gear and stuff. Uh, A lot of quality of life improvements, too. They're finally adding in uh, the ability to raid cross-server. Not on any server. It still needs to be in your particular data center, but there's, I think, two data centers for all of North America. So, I mean, it's not entirely cross server but Damn near. again a step in the right direction i don't know if they have the ability to do across data centers because like i said that's complete different server farms and all kinds of stuff i don't know uh but a lot of other cool little quality of life stuff um <laughs> again a very simple one that i'm actually really happy about is your chocobo no longer counts as a party member so before you could have your chocobo fighting alongside you, like if you were, you know, say a black mage and you wanted your chocobo to tank for you so you could use your spells, that, that's what you did. But it always counted as a party member, so you were splitting experience with him. Now it's just a pet like anything else. So oh, cool. it's, again, a small quality of life improvement, but a very important one. As well as since they don't count as party members, now you can have an entire party of characters all with their chocobos out. And so you can have a party of 16, essentially. Nice. Sounds so friggin' dirty. That'll be nice. (laughs) I wish I had taken a screenshot, but I wasn't quick enough with the share button on the PS4. According to the guys in Final Fantasy XV, there's no wrong way to love a Chocobo. (laughs) (laughs) Rock out with your Chocobos out, I guess. Oh, God. I do like... As far as, you know... uh, patches go they've got a lot of content for a wide range of players if you're just like doing quests and stories or if you're a big end game raider all kinds of crafting stuff going on like this is a great patch and it looks amazing like the raids Mm -hmm. in there now and see this is something joe and i have played wow together on and off again and talked about it immensely he knows 
I'm no longer a, a, a raider. I, I did that in like the yep. first year and a bit of wow, and then it was too much. It takes you away from your family too much and whatnot. But I'm at a point now where it would be like, you know what, once a week, I'd be all right with that. And I'm sure Karen would be all right with me being out of her hair once a week. <laughs> and so that would be all right. And I'm looking at these raids that are drop-dead gorgeous, unbelievable. I don't know if it was a raid or if it was some other group content or whatever, but the, what is it, Dunscathe? I'm probably mispronouncing it. but At Dunscathe is the new, I think it's 24-person raid. Dude, that was gorgeous. Just beautiful with like stained glass windows all around the boss and everything. And I know that was only the one little encounter. There'd be a lot more to it, but the same applies to all of the stuff, the containment based stuff that they showed the, uh, diadem, whatever the fuck that is. Mm-hmm. All of these things looked amazing. It was really, really impressive. And again, it was enough where I, for a split moment, was and this is where Allie was talking to me when she was streaming. I was watching for a while, and she was saying like, if the gla- the, the 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 potion comes out to allow it, what's that, what's that called again? To level. the jump potion. Yeah, the jump potion. Are you going to come back in? I'm going. I'm subbed right now to Swotor, but I'm close to pretty much done that in terms right. of content. So maybe I will be looking to switch that sub to another MMO for a little while. I don't know if it'll be Final Fantasy fourteen. But Jesus, some of this stuff was almost enough for me to say, if I could find a decent guild that's actually doing some of this stuff, holy crap. But maybe, maybe, because it was that impressive. And the housing yeah, I, looked amazing too. <laughs> I I cannot say enough good things about this game. Like they just they do everything right. And if they don't do it right, they, they make it. sure to do it right at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. The Fan Fest in Europe is coming up in just over a month, so look forward to some new announcements there. Probably the second uh, new class for Stormblood will be announced there. Second? I thought they were only the introducing one. The Spider-Man t-shirt. I thought they were only doing one cl- new class. Oh, no. They're, they're, there's got to be more than one. Well, They've Heaven's only Ward only one. had one. Hmm? Heaven's Ward only had one new class. No, Heaven's Ward added three classes. What are you talking about? What were the classes? There was the, the Dark Knight, the, the Machinist, the you, and the Astrologian. One, right? Yeah, the one that yeah. you were going oh, crazy about. Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right, that's right. Okay, yeah, you're right. Hmm. Okay, well, be interesting to see. How soon they forget. I, like I, 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 said, I haven't uh, played for months. Coming some hell, I think it's been over a year since I played, actually. Yeah. Uh, Yoshi P likes to tease people with the t-shirts yeah, he wears yeah. where, like I said, when they first announced Stormblood, he was wearing the Scarlet, Scarlet Witch, Witch t-shirt. Yeah. So, of course, they announced Red Mage. So people have been trying to figure out what the hell the Spider-Man t-shirt means. When did he wear a Spider-Man t-shirt? Uh, at the last Fan Fest when oh, they yeah. announced the Red Mage officially. <laughs> what, uh, what thief type classes do they have already? They have Ninja, right? Yeah, there's a yeah. Rogue and Ninja, yeah. But they don't have like a pure thief thief? Uh, not exactly. No. I wonder if that's going to be something because that's a that would be an old callback to like tactics. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. That'd I mean, it's Final the, the Fantasy. They have a lot of <laughs> history to draw upon for playable classes. They can also go with something original. Nothing stopping them from doing that, too. Well, that's what they did. Machinist. I, and yeah, that's what I mean. were pretty damn original. So they can come out with just something completely yeah. new. Very cool. Okay. Anything else? Uh, 
No, I think that about That's covers good. us. Okay, good. Um, I assume you guys didn't bother watching the Gravity Rush two stuff, but the the reviews have I been. I did actually. Did you I've really? Seen bits of it, yeah. I mean, I didn't watch the exact video you posted. I, I watched. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't watch the video you posted, but I watched. Um, I think it was IGN or Polygon was like basically commandeered one of the machines and wouldn't leave until they physically removed them and were streaming <laughs> it the entire time. <laughs> So, like, I was watching them play the real game with, like, commentary about, you know, oh, shit, well, like, the cutscenes and everything. It actually looks genuinely oh, interesting yeah, yeah. to me. Yeah. The thing with Gravity Rush is that as an IP, it's very cool to sit down and play through the the main storyline and to to really get a feel for the main character, Cat and to and for the story and things like that and to get really kind of um, sink your teeth into it. However, it's also a very good IP for just, I've got 10 minutes. Where can I get just a side mission or a challenge mission or something like that, that I can do in five or 10 minutes and then feel like I accomplished something. And that's something that they showed off in that you're a gamer video where it was like 90 minutes of gameplay footage because it was primarily just, side mission stuff. So he pulled up the map, which was massive. And then you're seeing all of the icons for various types of quests, be they story quests or individual people that you can talk to or side missions or challenges or things like that. And, and it is very much a, again, I I've got 10 minutes. What can I do? Bounce in and go catch some ducks. Some stupid, weird Japanese <laughs> shit that's funny that that still is fun to play as well. And that you can, in some cases, repeat it for the challenges to, you know, gain coins or the in-game currency to upgrade your character or, or things like that. I Everything that I saw from this and the, the, the few reviews that I read, people for the most part did like it. And in the cases where they talked about the things that they did not like, be it the speed with which you progress or how much reading there is for the cutscenes and different things like that, they're all things that I personally, having played the first one, actually enjoyed. I actually enjoyed the speed of the game, that it wasn't breakneck, that I could decide what I want to do with my time. And I enjoyed, I really enjoyed that narrative, that parallax effect of the comic book style questing where you're getting your stories like that. It involves more reading, though there are some the 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 the, the voiceovers as well. But you're doing a lot of reading and stuff. But I like it. It's it, it's it's a style that I wish we saw in done as well in more games. So everything that I've seen about this was put me on the the same path of yep. I knew this would be something that I'm going to want to play, and it definitely is. Okay, moving on from there, Joe. You just found today the trailer, the story trailer, which was pretty freaking awesome. The Horizon Zero Dawn trailer, where we actually get to story trailer, where we get to see a little bit more about what's going on with uh, Aloy. Um, I'm going to get this out of the way real quick because I, I really this off. But something was bothering me about this video when I was watching it, and I realized later on, like just before the show today, they changed her face. When we saw her originally, she was very feral. She was very like fierce or very square face, like very sharp, angles. very broad. What's that? A lot of sharp angles. A lot of sharp angles. 
they've softened her. They've moved her eyes closer together. They've rounded off her face a lot. Uh, they took her square jutted nose and made it a button nose almost. Uh, it's very, very small in comparison to how it was. Her mouth is also thinner as well. She's less the feral uh, cave dwelling person that I saw and really, really liked and more kind of the standard adventure heroine style. So I'm really sad and upset about that because I really dug the old aesthetic. I think I that they fit well. I think that they tried to make her look a little bit younger. And yeah, now I may be way off base here, but this is how I took it. And and again, I, I'm, I'm probably way off base, but the stuff that we originally both saw and heard about this was and again they were being coy in what they were saying but it was she was an outcast and she'd been on her own since she was a child and that's why she was so good at capturing these robot animals and doing things like that in combat because she'd been on her own and had to do these things on her own for so many years of her life from a very young age so because of that her features would have been what we saw originally, the sharp angles and just more I, haggard is the wrong term, but you know what I mean. Worn, worn by life already from a very young age. Whereas what we saw from this trailer was she wasn't outcast. She chose to leave to investigate what happened to her tribe. That is way different. Also, she chose to leave at an older age, not a younger age like Mm-hmm. had been hinted before she's not a child when she leaves so again she's had an existence that while not quote unquote pampered was still among her tribe and being able to you know rely on her her the people in her tribe as opposed to what we'd been led to believe before that she was pretty much on her own you See, know what and, i mean and and i can accept that as a story change if it wasn't like a complete restructuring of the bones of the face yeah like 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 you can make somebody like not give them scars and make them look less haggard. That's fine. But when you're changing complete bone structure, that's that's a problematic. Like you have a very clear intention in mind. And yes, and we're going to talk about the story here. They did change the story from what they originally hinted at. And yes, they were very vague at first and I have no problem with it. I actually think the story is uh, going to fit well, if not maybe a little bit cliched. Um so from what we get here in the trailer is that there are people hunting her tribe or killing her tribe. And they, she's trying to figure out what it is. And we find out that there are these weird people in masks that know how to resurrect ancient machines and corrupt them somehow and use them as machines, not just tame them, but like actually use them without their sentience at all. And so she goes on this, the, what we can tell is like different places and adventure to figure out who these people are, how to stop them, what their ultimate game is. Uh, and I kind of like that a little bit. I, I like the idea of the story. I think it'll fit well with it. I think it'll be interesting. Um, if not, like I said, just a little bit cliche, but I still keep coming back to the, I I'm upset about how they changed her. Now, what I thought was cool is there is a section of people that did look that she interacted with that did look like they were, incredibly pampered they lived in a frigging castle for god's sake and they were very it had a very royal aristocracy aristocrat era arist, i can't even freaking talk to <laughs> the frenchman has been <laughs> redeemed <laughs> for all for the times he screwed time. up english words <laughs> for this one time 
so it had a, a feel of the aristocracy <laughs> upon it, and it looked uh, almost like a Lord of the Rings style setting inside of this world where like she's interacting with these people that are very clearly well to do, but they know of her, they know of her tribe, they know who she is. Uh, and then we got to see a little bit more of some more advanced technology. There is a a hollow message that she interacts with, which I thought was kind of interesting because we've seen that she deals with sort of a low level technology, bow spears, things like that. Very clearly there is some high level tech still active in this world. And everything that she's doing here is on the radar of a lot of people. And I thought it was again, cliche, but also fun that we're talking about the whole, end of an era, beginning of a new one type thing, which is the whole thing that started this world that they're in to begin with. There was the fall of man, the rise of the machine. Something else is going on here, and we're going to be getting to play through it, whatever that means. It, it definitely interested me, and I, I still want to play the game, and I'm going to play the game. Like, it's it's going to be played pretty much to death, but yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I actually thought about this quite a bit after watching the video, too, because I was trying to decide... Do I prefer where I was letting my imagination run off with what they'd said originally in terms of the outcast from a very young age and what might be her driving force or do I like this? And to be honest, I'm leaning towards my original thoughts of her being an outcast and and making her own way and figuring out what's going on from there it felt more like there was more room for them to grow with the story in an organic way without relying as much on cliches as what we're going to quite clearly be seeing in this story arc. I'm not saying that's bad. And again, we've said it time and time again, literally across podcasts, it's not the cliche so much as what you do with it. So, Hey, they might do something exceptional with this, but just based on this story with what we had been hinting and what we kind of surmised from that, I'm still kind of leaning towards that old, the old concepts that we had before as something that would be a lot more fun. Vince, where are you at on this? I I mean, I'm kind of in the middle (laughs) of, I, I think though, with the new path they're taking, it's I, I agree with you that maybe her personal journey isn't going to be as fulfilling of going from that outcast to savior role. However, with her being a little more tied into society, I think it's going to make for a more cohesive story overall and give us a better idea of the world itself and her role in it, as well as the others in in, in the human society. You know what it almost feels like to me? It almost feels like they switched it from just like an open world exploration game to actually having story. This is true. That's what it feels like looking at it. Yeah, but so much changes about a character based on that very simple concept of Mm -hmm. outcast from a young age chooses to go out and investigate what's happening to her tribe. And that is going to taint every single encounter that she has with other people in the world. Right, and we don't know what the tribe what, status is with the rest of the world, so her entire tribe could be outcast. There is that matter. possibility. There is, yes. So, yeah. I mean, that is something that could, there could still be vestiges of that there as well. I mean, and looking at the where she interacts with that that sort of royalty, essentially that high that high society, there are very clearly communities that are not cave dwelling Neanderthals, which yeah. you know. So, I mean, 
if it depends on what point of view. So from them, yeah, she's not part of their world. She's an outsider. She's an she's she's not part of that society. So I mean, they could still work that in. There could still be a lot of of touches of that. We don't know everything yet. Obviously, the game's not out. We're just getting what they're getting from a, a cut together trailer. I'm holding out hope. But see, I, I, I think you, I don't think you're 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 getting what I mean. Um, to use an example, it's the difference between having a new type of uh, Jungle Book story where she's Mowgli. And she's mm-hmm. got none of the life lessons or mannerisms that she would have learned by osmosis by being around other people. And so would have been, like you said, much more feral and different things like that. And her interactions with people would have reflected that as opposed to your typical kind of character that as a young adult is leaving the tribe to go and investigate and try to help out the tribe. So any interactions that she has with other people are still going to be influenced by that. And by the fact that she's had those formative years within a tribe of people to, to, to make her into a, you know, quote unquote, normal adult, as opposed to the Mowgli Tarzan kind of thing. And I, and I can agree with you on that, sir, on that. For, but at, from a, a story perspective, from a player drive perspective, mm-hmm. if you are the outcast in an open world, what is your drive to actually do anything about what's happening? If you have no ties to anything, why are you going to be a hero? What do you care? That's well, you they can definitely that. do that. I mean, they, they, again, the the the, well, the Jungle Book. Tr- how, how do you do that? It, any number of ways. Again, they did it in Jungle Book. They did it in Tarzan. So I'm not saying Jungle that it Book, wouldn't be. Jungle Book and Tarzan weren't video games. In, I think that's Jungle no. Game. But what Tarzan I'm I'm trying to say, yeah, but it, it's not a video game. But the the the, the story and elements are still those, there. In both of those, the character found something to call a family. Found something that gave it a purpose. Tarzan found whether it was the apes or whether it was Jane had a family. Same thing with Mowgli with or Mowgli with Blue and, and and them. He had an adopted family at that point. He had a drive. He wasn't so an outsider. Why can't outcast. that happen with this as well? We don't know if that's the case. But that's what, what I'm saying. Outsider that was taken in by the by this by this group. We don't know. But that's what I'm saying is that the possibility was there for something like that. And 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 so the idea that just because there's no tribe no driving force to save the tribe or whatever doesn't imply that as an open world game there won't be some driving force that can be written in for that character as opposed to you know the driving force that is clearly what they're going with here so yeah, I, I think I, looking at it like that while Roger you're 100% correct that the original version that you know we we were told to expect or at least I guess that hinted at would have been a more interesting story overall. I think the current setup does work better as interactive media. I would watch the movie of the original, but I'd be more interested in playing the game of what we have now. Hmm. See, as a as a, a not just as someone who would be watching the story personally myself, I actually would prefer to play that mm-hmm. original story, and and not because it's not cliched, because it obviously would be the, the comparisons that I just made obviously are, 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 are accurate to what they could have gone with, but it hasn't been done enough that that kind of thing would have felt, you know, stale or something like that. I think that it, in the hands of creators that are going to try to come up with original 
concepts to wrap around that. I think that they really had a lot of wiggle room to play with and, and have fun. And let's also be honest with the launch of a new major franchise for Sony with millions and millions of dollars behind it. They're going to they play probably it safe. kind of have to play it safe. Yeah. Bit. Yeah. This is true. A little bit. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on. There was some news about some, there was a ton of VR news at, at CES. We, you notice we're not really covering it because a lot of it was as VR stuff, which I found to be fascinating. And there was some really interesting stuff in terms of, once again, VR for the purposes of uh, chronic pain relief or other kind of medical things. Fascinating. Not worth talking about on the podcast, but man, if you can find those articles and if you are someone who does suffer from any kind of chronic pain or anything like that, that you need that relief kind of thing, look into it, read up on it. There's some cool stuff coming down the pipeline and not just for the existing VR units, but like this is blowing up. It's unbelievable. Everybody in the fucking cousin is coming up with some VR or AR um, headset, glasses, whatever you want to call it. So there's some very, very cool stuff. One of the really neat things that I saw, and this is something that we kind of talked about before in the past, is a company called uh, Experiment 7, a studio. They are working on tabletop games for VR. And what they're trying to do is make it so that it will be cross-compatible as well. So you can play your tabletop games if you're Gear VR with someone who's got a Rift. They made no mention of the PSVR, but that's kind of way off on its own kind of thing. So I, I, I can understand that. That being said, certain games are going to, especially the ones from Ubisoft, be cross-compatible with the, the, the PSVR and Rift and, and, and HTC Vive. But anyways, these guys are working on developing uh, a really cool setting for board games. The, the people who are running this company have worked on other types of quote-unquote electronic board games or whatnot so that's this is a passion for them but it's neat because you've got various settings that you can be in you can play multiplayer that's coming down the line they're still working on that but you can play various tabletop games and whatnot and they've got a preview version of a chess game which i sent the link to joe i'm hoping you're going to get a chance to play it because i want to i want to hear i won't see it because it's on gear vr but i'd like to hear about how good it is because like joe and i are both avid chess players and the idea of playing chess virtually with someone who's clear across the world or whatever really appeals to me a lot especially when you see the fucking den one of their settings is like this gorgeous den with this fireplace and nice wood accents everywhere and i was like oh my god that would be amazing but they were also talking about like D stuff we are not far from this boys <laughs> This is only literally, I would say probably like there's already some D&D stuff that they are working on that you can do in VR. But I'm talking full out, you look like whatever your avatar, your character is that you've designed sitting at a goddamn table playing with everybody else. We are not that many I would say we're not even years away from that so much as year in a bit maybe. It's going to happen soon where we're going to be able to create our avatars, play as our avatars cross platform and have D&D sessions in that. I cannot fucking wait. That will be the day where it's like, okay, it's worth picking up a Vive just to be able to do this. Seeing the idea of being dressed as my character doesn't really appeal to me as much as 
virtual tabletop space where I don't have to have all of my masks and figures too. and shit yeah. like that. That's that's the part that I'm excited. Come about. on, though, you don't want to like be looking like this badass freaking like your orc half orc dude with tusks dripping saliva and everything sitting at the table. Come that, on, that doesn't that doesn't appeal to me. In really? VR. Oh my god! Like, I want to be it, sitting at a table. Legs crossed as Sir Reginald playing this game. <laughs> that See, would be for awesome. Me, for me, that that's, it, it, I hate to say this, it's going to sound so cliche. I like that being something left to the imagination of the individual players, right? And because everybody's view of how you describe your character is always going to be a little bit different. And I like that. I like that because... The way I see Sir Reginald is going to be a little bit different than the way you see Sir Reginald. And, and, and I know how you see Sir Reginald. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that that's part of the fun to me. Whereas like when you're talking about like with the chess and stuff like that, that appeals to me. Table Virtual tabletops appeal to me oh, in a God, yeah. big way yeah. because it makes things so much easier. Like, like I love playing chess. I play chess with a lot of people. But having a board with me is not something I can always do. Um but I can log into a game when play it against my friend who lives in Japan or, you know, whatever. And I can put on that VR headset and have a table and have hand carved pieces and things like that. And that appeals to me, that stuff, that's where VR is starting to get me. And the more that they show stuff like that, the more they're winning me over to the VR side. But they keep doing that stuff. I will be a 100% convert. Especially the Gear VR one, because you've got your phone with you anyways. It's literally just having that headset, which is not big. It's not cumbersome to speak of. Then, yeah, if you're on break at the office, you literally pop it in and you could potentially be playing a game of chess with someone or, or something. Oh, yeah. That's pretty freaking awesome. That is cool. Plus, they're saying, too, that while they're starting off with, like, their own games and different things like that, they do want to open up the platform so that other people can use it for their games as well. Like, I, I keep thinking it, it probably won't happen. But, man, imagine if you had people using that platform more, like like the freaking Munchkins games. I've been reading more about it because of the Marvel ones that they're putting out. And it's like, oh, my God, I would love <laughs> to play that. But I really don't have enough people to play that with. Well, if you've got a setting like this where you can play with people remotely anywhere, then you can have a ton of fun. And that's just one fucking game. So to me, the idea of various tabletop games in VR and, and considering the amazing push that they're making for VR now, it's not dying down. It's we're looking at, you know, one, two years. We're going to be seeing insane stuff for tabletop games in VR. I cannot fucking wait. OK, let's move on to the switch. We got some news in terms of what we can expect in terms of games. Which I didn't yeah. think all that exciting, but. Yeah, so it, I this has done nothing to make me more excited for the switch. Yeah. But here, here's what we got. We got. Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. We already knew that. Uh, we It will be a first-party release. It will also release on the Wii U at the same time as it releases for the uh, the next Switch, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and it will have Amiibo support. And here's the interesting thing. There's a lot of third-party titles, but they're weird titles. Uh, Rhyme, which is uh, an adventure f- uh, from Tequila Works, uh, is going to be there. Lego City Undercover, which is a Wii U exclusive Currently, that is 
also going to be coming to the Switch, but also the PS4, Xbox One, and PC at the same time. Uh, Pokemon Stars, uh, which is going to be a first-party release, but it's basically the Switch version of Moon and Sun. Uh, Project Sonic, which is a new Sonic adventure from Sega. That I'm actually excited about, but it's also coming out for the PS4, Xbox One, and PC. So, okay. Uh, Just Dance 2017, which is a third-party Ubisoft game. Um, I seriously doubt everything. that's going to be exclusive. No, hell no. Not a Ubisoft. Dragon Quest Eleven, which is a, a nice RPG from the Dragon Quest series, which I'm actually kind of okay with. Um, and Dragon Quest Ten, which is a third, the third party MMO, uh, which seems really interesting. But uh, of all those, not counting the first party games, none of them are exclusives. No, none of them. Mm-mm. And it gets it gets even better. Like let's go through some of them more. Uh, we have Square Enix adventure game uh, running on an Unreal Four engine, Seasons of Heaven. Know nothing about this game, but I it's Square Enix. There's no way it's exclusive. Stardew Valley. Well, we already know yeah. about that one. Cube Life it. Island Survival. It's basically a Minecraft game. It's a Wii U shop game. It's also coming to the PC. And then Constructor. It's a 1997 game. That's being updated, but also being brought to PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Nothing here is exciting. What we didn't see any any news about, we didn't see the new Super Mario game that they teased about. Uh, we didn't see anything about Mario Kart. We didn't see anything about Skyrim Remastered, uh, which I still don't think is actually happening. Um, we didn't hear anything about the Port of Splatoon, which was supposed to be happening. And no sports titles, which we saw, I think it was NBA 2K17. When in their announcement trailer, no word of that as well. That's that's a lot. Um, there was also rumors of a new Pikmin game that we're not seeing anything for. I I don't know what they're doing with this. I really don't. They don't either. <laughs> Apparently. Seriously, though, when you read that, did you get and and more so, Joe, because I know you bought one. Than, than Vince, but did you not get a very strong Wii U vibe? Yeah. Oh, of, yeah, oh my God, this is going to be the same fucking thing. I'm going to drop a few hundred bucks, if not more, on this I console. Know, I'd say the Wii U had a better launch lineup than this. I agree. It, it did, actually. I, I would yeah. agree, yeah. But, like, I mean, I'm, I'm reading all these these titles, and I'm thinking, what what the hell? What What is the point of buying this unless you are a diehard first-party um, uh, game like if if all you care about are the Mario, the Zeldas, and shit like that, then yeah, obviously. Though some of those are coming out on the Wii U as well, so you can save yourself some money and just buy one of those on the cheap. Soon enough, they'll be quite cheap, and then just play it on there. Because holy fuck, there was nothing that made me think I have to own this console. Not a damn thing. And yeah, I mean, and- we've been doing this for enough years too. You boys know how much I love my gadgets and shit like that. Oh, yeah. It's like this is like pff, forget it. I'm not wasting money. Well, and the, the other thing, too, is like they're talking about we got some ideas about tech specs and what what to be expected as well. Um, and the Tegra chip they're running the way Tegras are, are, are good chips like these. These are things that we've seen in, in mobile devices for a while now. They do great things in tablets and, and phones <laughs> for, for a lot of stuff. Um, but here's the problem with it. When you're not on the home dock, you don't get the full power of that chip anyway it doesn't matter they it's it's capped it's limited and it's doing that to ensure battery life on top of that yeah it, it's that's 
that's bad because that limits what type of games you can play or, and how it's going to play. And that's scary. Like, I, I'm just seeing Nintendo driving nails into their own coffin at this point. And that's, that's sad, really. I'm really curious what we're going to see from their presser. That's in two days, is it not? I believe it's on the 13th. It's tomorrow night. Is it 13th, tomorrow? 13th, yeah. No, that's not tomorrow, then. That's the day after. It's, I, yeah. So Friday night. UK time, so it'll be, it'll be us. Yeah. Uh, it, it'll be the 13th for everybody except America. <laughs> so sorry, I'm, I'm sorry. What time is it going to be at? I think it's 4 11 p.m. Oh, yeah. fuck. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious what we're going to find out, if they are going to tell us more about it in terms of... That's the full specs and whatnot. Prediction, yeah. I I don't anticipate that we're going to get a lot of news in terms of games because it's going to be the same thing as the Wii U, and they're going to want to try to hide the fact that they're not going to actually have that many third party games, not just at release, but for a while thereafter. I I wouldn't say at all because again, that's you know you're 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 really assuming there. If you're betting person, then you're you're likely to win. But you know what I mean. So they're they're not likely to talk about that. But I think based on the Wii, the Wii U, and now this, I think that they're going to try to shy away from that topic simply oh, yeah. because history so far has dictated that we're not going to get all of the third party games that quote-unquote promised for that console. Because, again, we were promised a lot of fucking shit, a lot of third-party stuff for the Wii U that never came to pass. And you can't hold that against the the studios either, third-party studios, because you can't toss money into a void. Not enough people bought the console, so it makes sense. Like, no, it's not feasible for them to spend a small fortune developing games for them. Certainly, Nintendo should be offering a lot more incentives for them to do that. Yeah, so there's blame on Nintendo's part, but not really on the third-party developers. And I think that we're we're going down the same path here with this. Well, especially with the the limiting of the hardware when it's not docked. Like, what developer yeah. is gonna is gonna try to develop with that in mind? What developer yeah. wants to do that when they're when they're programming for you know PS4 and Xbox One and and high-end PCs, where a lot of these they're trying to capture those those gamers. And let's let's make no no. Let's pull no punches. When they showed Skyrim, that's exactly what they were trying to do. They were trying to say, look, we can be a legitimate gaming system too. I don't see it. I really don't. And I'm 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 worried about that because I love my Mario games. I love, you know, all the little quirky games that you get on like the Wii the Wii U and the Wii and in, in, in that we've seen. And I love the three DS titles that I've been playing, but like I they haven't shown me anything that makes me care about the system. I the, the other thing to keep in mind, too, when you're talking about developers making those games is that these developers are looking at the reviews. They're looking at what people are saying, not just the reviewers, but also the 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 the, the gamers, the people who are actually buying the games. How many times are we seeing side by side comparisons, video comparisons that are showing which one is the one that's worth spending your money on because they look the best? That's not going to be the Switch. And just like what you said, where they have to be careful how they code the game so that it is something that is playable both on and offline, for lack of a better term, um, while docked or not docked kind of thing. So, like, 
again, it's going to be one of those things where there's going to be the, the comparisons between them in terms of which is graphically the most impressive and runs the smoothest and is the one worth buying. And I think that that is going to influence these third-party devs in terms of how much money they should then spend on development of their games for the Switch, if at all. And I think I, I, it, I would put down money on it that we're going to be a year down the line in the same boat as we've been with both the Wii and the Wii U. So, which is too bad. But again, it's, it's, it's a gimmick that I really am not interested in. So I honestly don't care. <laughs> I know that sounds horrible, but nope, sounds accurate to me. It's it's because I have no interest whatsoever in this idea of the portability. Which I mean, as someone who is disabled, as someone who has to uh, to to as someone who plays games on mobile platforms as well, be it the Vita or the. Uh, the iPad. I still haven't used my new 3DS. It's not new, but the one I bought. I still haven't used that fucking thing. A little bit. I mean, for a couple of games, but to speak of, none at all. But anyways, my point is, I do like gaming on mobile. And I, I feel like I, I have to as well because of my situation. So you would think that this would be something that's literally right up my alley. And maybe it is. But from everything we've seen so far, I don't feel it is. Nor do I feel confident in them as a, as a, not as a studio, as a hardware developer to make sure that third parties do send their games over. Because again, part of the problem with the, the, the Wii U was not just that there was not enough third party content, but there wasn't enough fucking first party content. So if the Switch is coming out and they're saying, okay, and look at all of these first party games. Ton of them. Look at this is going to keep you busy for a long time. Then you're going, oh, okay. So I'm not getting all these, you know, other games, but look at all of these first party games using characters that I like. Boom, you've got me. Okay, then I'm more interested. But I mean, fuck, there was a drought of first party games, let alone third first party games for the Wii U. So, hmm. All right. Anything else with the the switch you wanted to touch on? Not really. It just that's everything else is just more of the same. Yeah. Well, we'll know more. A lot of what we're seeing right now is speculation. So mm-hmm. again, we'll know more in a few days. We'll talk about it next week. Lastly, there was a Doom. What was it? Was this like a documentary, Vince, or what, how does this yeah. come across? Okay, uh, go for it's it. This, uh, group uh, they have their youtube channel it's called no clip it's actually a crowdfunded video game documentary production company uh this uh doom uh, 2016 documentary is the second one they put out uh, i still haven't watched the first one but I, now that i'm aware of them it's about the making of rocket league Ooh. so i'm actually gonna go back and check that out at some point but yeah it's a three 30 minute videos uh called doom resurrection about basically how we got the freaking awesome version of doom that we did last year. And I'm not going to go into too much detail, but they went into of course, like the history of the studio, blah, blah, blah. And they spent some time talking about doom three and everybody at it themselves reiterated the, a lot of the talking points you hear about doom three. It was a really good game. It did a lot of stuff really great, but it wasn't doom. It just didn't feel like a proper game for that franchise. 
So when they went into you know other games that they were working on, uh, Rage came out in the meantime. The whole time they were working on Doom Four. They had I forget exactly how many years of work they put into making Doom Four, and completely scrapped every bit of it because they had the the scenario they set up for Doom Four was um, literally hell on earth, you know, demonic invasion of Earth with cinematic uh, story elements. Like basically, it was like a Gears of War, Call of Duty style campaign, but setting in Doom. And the little bits of like pre-production stuff they showed off of it, I was like, again, this looks really cool. This would have been really fun. Uh, but all of them looked at it and went, this isn't Doom. And that's, I mean, <laughs> the the amount of time, effort, and money they put into something that they realized wasn't right for them. They said, e- even if it was good, <laughs> and it probably would have sold a lot, they realized that they had to scrap it and completely start over getting what we now have with Doom 2016. And very few small elements that they carried over into it. And they were talking about, you know, they had this great gameplay, you know, this this push forward combat. They had all this great map design, everything. But they still didn't have a story. (laughs) Because if you're going to release a game, a triple A game, at least it needs to have some sort of story. Some semblance of a story. (laughs) Yeah. They brought in, I forget who they said they brought in. uh, but uh, they had these writers come in and wrote like an encyclopedia for doom and so they had all of the background story element who the characters are what the company's doing this and that but they didn't want to just you know do a traditional story for a game because that's not doom (laughs) and they found their inspiration in the 1991 bruce willis movie the last boy scout what <laughs> of what? a movie that was so cliched and formulaic, but at the same time was completely self-aware about it. Oh, and that's where you have, they were on the edge of the razor of this is completely ridiculous. We acknowledge this is completely ridiculous, how can we make it cool of going through this uh, scientific research facility and just having like these small little warning signs of demonic invasion in progress? <laughs> like demonic invasion in progress should be a pretty big deal, but it's just a Tuesday to these people. <laughs> and that's where like they found their happy place of what to do with the story and how if you put in time, put in effort, read all the stupid little data pads that you can find hidden around the world, there's a lot of story in there, but it's told in the weirdest way of, like, you have these dossiers of the the various demons that you come across. And the first one you find is, you know, pretty cut and dry. Just this is what they do. This is, you know, where they're from. You know, this is... (laughs) And then as you unlock higher tiers of these by, you know, finding hidden stuff, killing lots of enemies you get like you get to realize just how fucked up this company is like this is a scientific company but also a satanic cult yep 
and they don't notice that something's not right there. So it's it's just so brilliant. They did an entire, almost an entire one of those 30-minute episodes was dedicated to the amount of effort they put into the first 10 minutes of the game because they knew they needed to make an impact. They needed to put their mission statement out there of what this game is, how it's going to be just like Doom, but modernized and unlike any other modern game you've played. It it made me love this game even more. So I highly recommend anybody to check it out because it's a masterclass in game development, if nothing else. That is awesome. That is awesome. I'm waiting for a like really good sale on it. And... And then I'll pick it up because, you know, mm-hmm. it's funny you say that about Doom 3 and whatnot. I fucking love Doom 3. Loved it. So did I. So did I. So if, if they're like, that there wasn't up no to snuff, I was like, Jesus. So, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to playing this. Definitely. Okay, so that is going to wrap it up for tonight. Thank you very much for joining us. You can find the show notes, of course, at ForTheLoreLaw.com. You can find us on Twitter at ForTheLore individually. Joe is Loader ZJ, Vince is Simodian, and I am Zen Buddhist. You can leave us your thoughts and comments on iTunes and Stitcher. And with that, we will see you guys next week. You're the devil in disguise. First one of the year. <laughs> Done. I feel like we've accomplished something. <laughs> we did. <laughs> it was so weird having last week off. And for no reason. It's like, I feel guilty here. <laughs> what is this free time thing? I got to cook dinner and <laughs> watch a movie. Damn. Walk like an angel. Walk like an angel. Talk like an angel. But I got one. You're the devil in the sky. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by forthelore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs. You're the devil in the sky. Oh,